Hear the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the word of the Lord.
been interesting around my house this week. My uh, son's first cry was, what am I going to do with my kids for a whole month? What am I going to do with them? I just laughed and said, what you do with them all the time? Cause trouble and mischief. Uh, This week too has been interesting for me because about Thursday, I uh, started to have an attack of uh, uh, vertigo. And I get it periodically, and I am in the midst of it even now as I speak to you. And um, so if you see me uh, stumble, don't worry. I'm not dying, and I don't have coronavirus. I just have vertigo, and sometimes I get kind of... My grandkids think it's pretty funny, and they follow me around just to watch, to see me bump on the hallway as I'm walking down. It's, It's sad. Well, we got our laugh because if we don't do that, it's just going to get real sad. And so here we are in a new uh, world, a new uh, paradigm as to what we're supposed to do. And um, again, I want to remind you that we're not handshaking anymore. We are elbow uh, touching. We don't even fist bump anymore, elbow touching. I still think the rump bump is okay. Uh, I, I, I think God will give a special dispensation. I prayed about it. I looked, and, and there's nothing that says we can't do that uh, in, in Scripture, uh, uh, especially if it's a holy rump bump. Don't, uh, don't be doing that for any other reasons, all right? I just want to say that. Well, I, I wanted to share with you a list of things, uh, 10 signs that you may not be reading your Bible enough. Uh, number 10... The preacher announces the sermon is from Genesis, and you have to check the table of contents to find it. (laughs) You think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob may have had a few hit songs during the 60s. You open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, and a 1950s savings bond falls out. (laughs) Number seven, your uh, favorite Old Testament patriarch is Hercules. Number six, a small family uh, of uh, woodchucks has taken up residence in the Psalms of your Bible. Number five, you become frustrated because Charlton Heston isn't listed in either the concordance or the table of contents in your Bible. Number four, catching the kids reading the Song of Solomon and you demand, who gave you this stuff? You think the minor prophets worked in the quarries. Now some of you are going to go, huh? That's what I'm saying. Number two, you keep falling for it every time when the pastor tells you to turn to first condominiums. 
And the number one sign that you may not be reading your Bible enough, the kids keep asking too many questions about your usual bedtime story. Jonah, the shepherd boy, and his ark of many colors. <laughs> yeah, you know me, I like to read those things. Uh, I, I heard another story, and I have, I'm just going to get it out because I, I like it so much I'm going to share it with you. One day in a busy airport, they're not so busy right now, but when it was busy, passengers of a commercial airliner were, were seated in their seats, uh, waiting for the cockpit crew to come because they were a little slow, uh, and, and, and waiting for them to walk down the aisle. Uh, two of them came down the aisle, but they both appeared from first glance to be blind. The pilot was using a white cane bumping into passengers as she stumbled down the aisle, and the co-pilot is using a guide dog to get him down the aisle. Both have their eyes covered with huge sunglasses. At first, the, pastors, uh, the, pastors, the passengers didn't react, thinking that it must have been some sort of a you know, practical joke. Uh, a few of them chuckled while they went down. However, after a few minutes, the engine spooled up and the plane backs out of the gate and then moves down the runway. The passengers begin to look at each other with some uneasiness, whispering among themselves. Uh, and, and they look desperately to the flight attendants to, for reassurance. Uh, when the plane starts to accelerate rapidly, the people begin to panic. Some of the passengers start praying out loud, and as the plane gets closer and closer to the end of the runway, their voices are becoming more and more hysterical. Finally, the airplane, with very few feet left, uh, lifts off from the end of the runway, and the cockpit, up in the cockpit, the pilot uh, breathes a sigh of relief, turns to the captain. You know, one of these days, the passengers aren't going to scream and we're going to get killed. I just like that. I don't know why. I just, one of those things. But isn't that the way it feels like right now in our society? You know, if they don't get us up and going, you know, what? There's just so much insanity going on right now. Before I read our scripture today, uh, let me say to you that this story in chapter 9, that's where we are right now, is our story. We're all born spiritually blind. We can't see Jesus, who Jesus really was. And if you can't see Jesus, you really can't see who God is either. When you can't see God, lots of things don't make sense in this world. You're filled with questions like, why am I here and what's my purpose for existing and what really am I doing here? When you can't see Jesus, uh, you can't see the answers to those kinds of questions. Some of you do remember what it was like to be wandering through life with your eyes of your soul glued shut, trying your hardest to find your way but without success. Today in our Bible passage, we encounter a sequence that's uh, seen frequently in the Gospels, a healing followed by a controversy. Jesus is still in Jerusalem just after the Feast of the Tabernacles. You remember the temple lighting ceremony that I spoke of 
weeks ago about the four big candelabra lighting the whole of Jerusalem. And when it goes out, Jesus telling all of them that he's the light of the world. Boy, how true is that today? People, we're searching. People have no idea what to do. Even government people, they just don't know what to do. In our society, you watch, you know, go to the grocery store and watch them fight over things that they don't need to fight over. Well, Jesus is the true light that surpasses anything available in the temple. He's a messenger from God, bringing God's word uh, for the world and giving life to all who believe in Jesus. So I want you to listen to just a portion of chapter 9, starting at verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, uh, that he was born blind? Neither uh, this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that, uh, that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes, and he told me to go to a Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked, I don't know, he said. Blind, but now they could see. You know, uh, there's some really interesting points here that I think we need to make. First, uh, in this passage, is that uh, we see a discussion about the cause of a man's blindness. See, it was common belief of that time that uh, mankind suffers because of sin. It was either his own sin or his parents' sin that made him this way. Jewish belief at that time was that if someone was born with a disability, it was a punishment from God. The book of Job should have answered and settled this issue for Israel, but still in the first century, the popular folk theology saw a direct causal connection between illness and sin. And you know, I think today we live by the same belief. We think bad, bad things like this just don't happen for no reason. I mean, right? We say things like, oh, my marriage is broken up, so I must have been a bad person, a bad spouse. Or, I got beat up by my dad, so I must have been a bad kid. 
Or I lost my job, so I must have been a a bad employee. Or we say things like, my kids have rebelled against God and are in trouble, so I must have been a bad parent. Most of us believe that everything that happens in our lives happens for a reason. Jesus tells us here that it wasn't anybody's fault that this man was blind. Well, we can learn this lesson for our own lives as well. But there is this troubling statement of Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Or reading in another translation, we might get the idea that God caused this to happen to the man so that Jesus could show God's power and plan. That's not what it says. When you look at the Greek, and it it really translates something like this, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is still day. I hope you noticed that what Jesus said there. We must do the work, not I must do the work. Jesus includes all of us in his work in our world. In this passage, Jesus shows an interesting reversal. The man who was blind was healed and could see and was given spiritual sight, while the Pharisees, the ones that should have been able to see, but instead accused Jesus, they had perfectly good eyes and were spiritually blind. There's another important thing we got to see in this chapter. John gives us steps to spiritual sight. There are four steps that John sees. First, you got to see Jesus as a man. The blind man's neighbors came seeking an understanding as to how this guy was healed. And all the man knew was that the man that was called Jesus had commanded him to do certain actions... And he did it, and he received his sight. The second step is seeing Jesus as a healer. The man was brought before the religious leaders, and they accused him of breaking the Sabbath law. He was healed on the Sabbath. This was a serious offense for the Jews. He saw Jesus, the man did, as a great man who'd helped him see Jesus was a healer. The third step, seeing Jesus as a prophet. The man progressed in his thought to view Jesus as a prophet. A prophet is a man, you know, that's chosen by God, who walks close to God, who represents God among the people, who proclaims the message of God, who demonstrates the power of God. Jesus was seen as a godly man, a prophet. Fourth step, seeing Jesus as their Savior. The man taken before the Pharisees is harshly questioned. They attacked him verbally. Instead of being fearful, he gave a strong confession of his own personal experience of Jesus who touched him. He couldn't answer their theological questions. One thing I know 
Once I, once I was blind, but now I see. Jesus was more than just a mere man. And the fifth thing, seeing Jesus as being God. This man's final answer to those who questioned him, he confessed that Jesus was God. He knew that because of the works of Jesus. This was proof uh, that Jesus was God. The man was then immediately cast out of the temple, out of his faith. It was at this time that Jesus showed up again. And he wanted to talk to the man. The man believed and worshipped Jesus. The man becomes a model for every believer who embraces Jesus' lordship. It's our story. It's a story about open hearts and closed hearts. Some of us here, even in this room, some of us are living in darkness. You can't see any hope for tomorrow. Some of you are getting ready to make some decisions about the direction for your life, and you're blind to the pain uh, that those decisions will bring to you. Right now, as you stumble around in your life, just as if you were blind, Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. He wants to change your life and make it easier so that you can see the way. We all are stumbling around, especially about this virus. Things are moving very quickly, very fast, and we're, uh, we're to trust the light of the world. He will take care of you. He will encourage you. He will bless you. Here in this story, a man who lived in darkness was given light. Now, it's important because Jesus had just talked about, I am the light of the world, and now John is showing us a picture of Jesus being the light of the world. Physical healing here in this passage becomes a symbol for the spiritual healing that we all need. The man who was once in darkness, who now could see, uh, was surrounded by people who had sound eyes, but nevertheless lived in spiritual darkness. The lesson we can learn from this story is to discover who really is blind. The question is, are you spiritually blind? Do you see all that's going on around you by God or are you rejecting it? Are you open to the Holy Spirit leading you to a great adventure of service for his kingdom at this time? Or are you blind and are you groping around trying to understand what's going on? See, Jesus shares in this passage with us his sense of divine urgency when he said, while it is day, today we must do something. As you go through your day, are you an ambassador for Jesus Christ? You're to minister in the name and the authority and the power of Jesus. You don't have to care for everybody, just those the Spirit prompts you to. If all Christians would act on the prompting of the Lord, there would be fewer burned out, overworked Christians. The shameful statistics in the church is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work and give 80% of the financial support. 
No wonder Christianity is called the biggest spectator sport in the world. I want to share a couple of stories as I get ready to close. Mike Ditka, a football coach to the Chicago Bears. You know, the Bears, uh, one of the football living legends. Once when the Bears were losing a game at halftime, Ditka uh, went out uh, went all out to inspire his team to do better. Standing in the locker room, he reached his right hand down into a bucket. And when he removed the hand out of the bucket, there was a snapping turtle clamped to his hand. His face showed the pain that he was undergoing with that snapping turtle connected to his hand. And, and his hand was bleeding, by the way. Dicker lectured his men and, and that they needed to learn how better to play together. Finally, holding a wounded hand up, he said, Any one of you can do the same thing if you're really determined as I am. Are there any volunteers? Now, this is a great thing. William Perry, the 350-pound defensive lineman named The Refrigerator, spoke up. I'll do it, coach. Dick praised him for his willingness to demonstrate his toughness and then told him to wait until the snapping turtle uh, was pried loose from his hand. And Dick and Perry said, no need to remove the turtle. Just stick out your other hand and I'll bite that one instead. <laughs> the Church of Jesus Christ in America has really become what I call wusses. We all, uh, at least in the Presbyterian church, really have become wusses. We are afraid of the culture. I wonder if our church, this church, is ready to move with the Spirit before every ministry or committee meeting. I think we need to ask, is what we're about to discuss right now worth the death of Jesus on the cross? And if it's not, we just ignore it and move on. Or before every gathering in this church, we should ask this question. Is what we're doing right now or fighting over right now worth the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross? And the third and last one. Did Jesus die on the cross so that we could be this kind of church? It's time for us to put some points on the scoreboard for the church of Jesus Christ and make a difference in our world and in Lakeside. It's time. I was reading a, 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 some in a, a book this week. Uh, it was about George Washington and, and uh, the Revolutionary War. And during the terrible winter at Valley Forge, a government official came uh, to see firsthand how, how it really was. General Washington received him, and, and the man immediately began uh, complimenting him on his ability to hold the army together under such hard circumstances. And he said, General Washington, you're a great leader, a great man, an inspiration to us all. And Washington, standing in the midst of his suffering troops, broke in impatiently. Never mind all of that. 
Just tell me where you stand in relation to the cause that I represent. You know, we're like that man. We arrive at church each Sunday uh, praising the Lord, having fun talking to one another, acknowledging God's greatness. But each Sunday, if we were really listening, we could hear Jesus say to us, never mind all of that. Just tell me where you stand in relation to the cause that I represent. To be like Jesus, I must do something today. In the weeks to come, I think we can do simple things. Make a dinner for a neighbor. Just take it over to him. Send an encouragement card to somebody you know that needs the encouragement. Do simple, loving acts and do it in the name of Jesus. For that's how we're going to make an impact in our world. Or we could just sit at home and watch television. What do you think Jesus would want you to do?